Thank you. It's good to see you all again. Let me turn this on, make sure I get it on. How am I on? Okay. It's great to see you. Thanks for taking the time to be here, um, both last night and tonight. I appreciate that. I know that it is a different schedule and it's a different way to spend time. And uh, may the Lord use it for his glory for all of us. We all need the challenges. Sometimes we would rather not have them. And uh, sometimes they kind of tire us out. I want to try to to balance things a little bit. Tonight, I want to speak on a theme that will be predominantly emotional, believe it or not. But I wanted to mention a couple things. Uh, Make Me a Blessing. I appreciated seeing that song, actually, from my youth. I must have most of that memorized. Didn't even need the hymn book. And uh, that was a joy to sing. And I thought that as we talk about uh, meeting others' emotional needs, and I'm going to focus on... I'm going to use as my as my illustrations meeting needs of missionaries, um, but I also think that it's important to emphasize that the same needs are had by all of us, and it doesn't matter what our role is, we all have emotional needs. But there were some phrases in that hymn, many are weary and sad. It was talking about the unsaved, but the fact is among the saved there often are weary and sad. And it's important to realize that we have a ministry also to them. And if you haven't been as a believer weary and sad yet, you will be, and you will need help from someone as well. And uh, so it's, it's. Uh, I thought that was a, a neat phrase. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife. Ever gone through a dark time in your life with the Lord? There are those that God uses that are in the sunshine when you're in the dark, and they bring sunshine into your life in the Lord. And we'll talk about that. Um, I, I thought as the ladies played, I sing the mighty power of God. What a beautiful hymn that is. We, we have that in Lithuanian. Um, I, I appreciate the music and I thank you for investing that for the Lord. Church members serve a special role and meet a real need when they provide godly emotional refreshment to missionaries and pastors and each other. So that's true within the churches and a little broader among those whom you have sent, those whom you support. I don't think I've ever heard a message on this, and uh, so I hope it's a blessing. I also hope that as I navigate new waters, I won't shipwreck. Uh, But... uh, There are things that I feel as if the Lord would have me share that I don't believe that the average American pastor would be able to share because he hasn't experienced the same thing. Although, if you only knew the heartaches and the darkness that sometimes comes in the lives of pastors, you would probably pray for your pastors more and you probably would find ways to, to put it in a very vernacular, fill their emotional tank. because sometimes pastors also are emotionally spent um, from the ministry. I'd like to motivate you, if at all possible, by the grace of God, to find ways to refresh missionaries and each other emotionally. Now, that sounds very self-serving since I'm the missionary here. So if you wish to start with others, that'll be okay. Um, But I still think it needs to be said. And uh, because, as I said, I've never heard anybody speak on this, I felt as if it it might be my job. That's typically <laughs> the way things go. <laughs> I uh, we, we laugh in my family that one of my 
themes is the road not taken. Um, and uh, so maybe that, I didn't think of that until just now, but yes. Okay, Philemon, I hope many times that I will remember to repeat this verse to you and that you will repeat this verse with me a few times too. And that's Philemon 20. Philemon verse 20. As you know, Philemon was written by a missionary uh, to, the book of Philemon was written to Philemon by a missionary, Paul, about the slave Onesimus. And uh, I want us, if we don't get anything else tonight, brothers and sisters, let's get this verse in our minds. And I want you to remember who's saying this. Paul, the missionary, is saying this. Philemon 20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Now, I've called this serving missionaries and each other with bowel refreshment, partly because I realize how strange it is to use the word bowel in this sense in our 21st century. And we'll, we'll define the terms. Paul here is begging Philemon with a call to help Paul feel well emotionally by doing what Paul is asking him to do in regard to Onesimus. And Paul's emotions are deeply tied to Onesimus. Paul is in prison. Paul is probably weak. Paul is undoubtedly tired. But Paul is rejoicing that Onesimus has trusted Christ. But Paul is not sure, just like most of us are not sure, exactly how other Christians are going to respond. <laughs> and so he's begging Philemon, okay, Onesimus has sinned against you. Onesimus is a bad guy. Okay, Onesimus, apparently the slave of Philemon, ran away. And Paul is asking him, this is my interpretation, to forego his right to punish him, and probably he's asking him to completely release him from slavery, but at least to forego his right to punish him. In the Roman Empire, the slave owner held the life of his slaves in his own hand, and he could do whatever he wanted. And that is not what Paul wants to see happen to this man, Onesimus, who has trusted Christ. Now, I've emphasized the word bowels here, and I'm going to do that regularly throughout the message. But I want to begin with an introduction to an illustration. I'm not sure what year it was, but maybe in 2004 or 2005, we traveled on furlough, <laughs> falsely so claimed, with a travel trailer from the east to the Midwest. The kids were all young, none were in their teens yet. And if I've guessed the year right, we would have had all four of us with, with us at that time. Elizabeth and Timothy would remember this. I'm not sure that Joanna would remember it. I don't know even if Paul was born yet, but I think so. And I think he was a baby and Joanna was just four years old, maybe. I don't know for sure. Um, when this exactly happened. And I wrote about it in a prayer letter, and I cannot find that prayer letter. I have looked high and low, and I even asked one of my friends who at one time printed it out and had it saved, and he can't find his copy either, so I don't know what year it was. We stayed in a camping trailer campground, and we looked in the yellow pages of a phone book, and we found a Baptist church listed. We found a couple in that town. It was in Indiana. And uh, I, we're going to go to that church. I'm going to ask you some questions to lead into the message. Have you ever walked into a church for the first time? Have you ever wondered how it would go when you get there? Or if you would have a cool response or a warm response or what you're going to think of it? 
There is someone, certainly not of our persuasion, who has written a book about going to 52 different churches. And I have not read the book. I happened to see it by accident when I was looking for something else on the Internet. But I thought, <laughs> what an experiment. I could write that book, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> never thought of that. Um, what did you think when you came in the first time? And, uh, well, we showed up. We walked in. We introduced ourselves and our kids. And I want you to guess what happened next. And I'll tell you at the end of the message. We all are emotional beings. That's how God made us. Every time we think of or see a brother in Christ, it would be well for us to remember Philemon 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. It could be that that brother or sister that you have contact with on an average Sunday morning, on an average Thursday night, on an average Sunday night, or sometime in your day, really needs you to do something, say something that actually will refresh their bowels. The emphasis here, I know this is applicable to all, to men, women, young men, young ladies, boys and girls, but I want to emphasize that what's going on in this passage historically is between two men. Think about that for a while, guys. Paul is speaking of emotions and asking a brother to do something that will make Paul feel good. That's not something we often think of, is it? And I think we're impoverished because of that. When I left college, I left as a non-emotional young man, so I thought. And I didn't put any stock at all in emotions. And I thought that any decisions that were even influenced by emotion had to be inherently bad. In other words, I'm just saying I was pretty negative on that. I had been taught mind first, will second, emotions third. I still think that's a pretty good mantra if you're into mantras. But the fact is, life is not quite that easy. There are times when the emotions play a bigger role. There are times when the will plays a bigger role. There are times when the mind plays a bigger role. And I think that as we address this, that it's important for us to remember, guys, that Paul had emotions, like really significant emotions and emotional needs. And it's not bad that you do either. And it's a good thing for you to admit that. And another thing is that a man who is a brother in Christ can do and say things that can encourage another brother in ways that the doer of the good probably doesn't even perceive if he simply is in the Lord controlled by the Holy Spirit when he does it. Now, I'm going to define some words. There's a word here that only occurs one time in the New Testament that's translated, let have joy. Let me have joy. Now, that it's, a, it's an interesting word. It's the word from which Onesimus' name apparently comes, if we can believe Strong's dictionary. Um, of the older English translations, I found it interesting that three... Well, let me think here. I may be wrong on that. It could be all four of them. I looked at bishops in Geneva and Wycliffe and Tyndale. And uh, yeah, except for Wycliffe, they all have the idea of joy or pleasure or enjoy in them. Even though the word itself, without its context, doesn't really have that in it. It has the idea of uh, to derive pleasure or advantage of or profit from. You know, in Esimus's name, most people say profitable, useful was his name. But 
this is inherently an emotional passage. It's an emotional letter. And probably the only letters in the New Testament, the only letter that would exceed it in emotion is probably 2 Corinthians. Um, so this word is, is meaning that, let me find what, what I had written down here. Um, I think I skipped it already. That I need, I need you, Philemon, to do me a service, to be useful to me in an emotionally positive way. Okay, that's the basic concept of what is being communicated here. And then we have the word translated refreshed. And this word, to rest, to refresh, to take ease, of course it can go either way. And in English we don't automatically notice this, but you have a word to rest or to make rest. For example, to lie down or to make makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, so the words, depending on their forms, can can be used either way. And this word is is one of those, to refresh, to take ease, or to refresh the emotions, to ease the weight of emotional stress. Paul was feeling emotional stress. He was, do I dare use the word, and I hope you won't think I'm saying Paul was sinning in this, because he wasn't. Paul was worried about Onesimus. He had an emotion for Onesimus. And he was concerned about how Philemon was going to respond. And Philemon could respond under the laws and under the customs, according to everything in that culture that he'd ever experienced, except for Christ. He could respond in a way that would absolutely break Paul's heart. And Paul was begging him not to do that. Now, I'm taking it broader than that. I'm not only going to deal with, with situations like this one specifically, but that's because when we get to the word for bowels, we find the other instances in the scriptures where it's used in this sense. Okay, it's interesting that Wycliffe, <laughs> I, I, I think I chuckled out loud when I read this, uh, Wycliffe's translation says, so brother, I shall use thee, see the idea of profit or benefit, in the Lord, fill thou my entrails with Christ. Okay, uh, then we get to the King James with bowels. It's not easy to translate words like this. And some people claim that it means the lower viscerals, some the upper. I don't even know. But I will tell you this from translating the scriptures, that context is king. And there's no question here that it's talking about emotion. And it's talking about two, depending on, con well, there's actually the other use of it as bowels, like Judas's bowels were, were, uh, came out of his guts, you know, that's just the normal sense of it. But in the metaphorical sense, it's used in the idea of the tie that binds, the emotional tie that binds. And in the other sense, metaphorically, it's used to mean the emotional well-being of a person. And I can't narrow it down anymore in studying those passages. I think that that word, when it's used that way, it has those two meanings, and I can't make either one of them fit in both and in, in, in all the verses. So I think that you clearly have to say that it both is. In some cases, when he said refresh my bowels, he's not saying refresh the tie that binds. He's saying refresh my emotional well-being. But in other passages where he talks about the bowels, he's talking about the tie between us, the emotional tie. You've had emotional ties. You men have had emotional ties with other guys. I remember some of my college friends that I had. And to this day, my emotions are sad that I'm not friends with most of them. 
you know, some of them jumped out of my life, others just faded away, and so others ran for the bushes, you know, just to get away, you know, in, in different circumstances, different, some just, you know, I don't know. Um, there, there are those kinds of things where, you know, when you were young and you were doing things together and serving the Lord together, you just assumed we're on the same path, we're going to stay on the same path, and, you know, we may have to go to different locations, but we're still going to do the same thing, and then you realize, well, I guess I didn't get that right either. <laughs> you know, we're not exactly doing the same thing. Some people bail out because they don't agree with you. I have friends that no longer agree with me theologically. I could still be their friend if they'd let me, <laughs> but they won't. Um, you know, and, and so you, you have some of those emotional ties that, uh, that affect how, how you respond as a person. So favorable emotions towards someone, one's emotional well-being I, I think in the Bible it might only be used in a good sense when it's used this way. I have one possible exception to that, and that could just be the sense of a really strong feeling um, in, in Corinthians. But Corinthians is notably hard to always understand exactly what Paul was saying, precisely because it's an extremely emotional, both letters are emotional, but the second one is, is just full of emotion. Nine times the King James translates this word as bowels, one time as, and this will help you the most in understanding it, inward affection, and one time as tender, when it talks about the tender mercies of God in sending Jesus. Jesus was sent because God has emotions about lost people. Emotions are not to be discarded, or to be belittled. They must be controlled. They cannot be the way we make all of our decisions, but they are essential to human life, and they're even essential to God, if you can say it that way. They are an inherent part of our Father in Heaven, is emotional expression. And so, as we think about these things, we're not thinking about something that is insignificant, and probably all of you, would be willing to admit that if it was an anonymous questionnaire. <laughs> the problem is that we would like to present ourselves as not being quite as vulnerable as sometimes our emotions make us to be. I want to run through some of the passages that Paul uses this word in relatively quickly. Philippians 1.8 For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. This is the emotional attachment of the evangelist to those to whom he has ministered. How greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. In other words, by means of or being controlled by. That N in Greek, the N there, that can often mean being controlled by. Do you know what the demoniac is? He is in the unclean spirit. If you look at the Greek, that's the way it is. It's not that the unclean spirit is in him. And when someone is controlled like John was on the Lord's Day in John chapter 1, I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day. Some people think that means he was ecstatic in an in a ecstatic state or something. I'm not prepared to say that I know everything, but I do know that one very reasonable explanation of that is that he was controlled by the Holy Spirit on the Lord's Day. And... This in the bowels of Christ means that Paul was partaking of the emotions of his Savior 
in relation to the people that Paul had evangelized and worked with. And he says, I really, really like you folks. <laughs> I, I yearn for you be in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. And this is the if passage. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, hear the comfort there? If any fellowship of the Spirit, fellowship is inherently emotional too, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Once again, Paul is telling somebody to make him happy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of the same accord, of one mind. The condition of unity if this tie that binds exists, if there be any bowels, if this tie that binds exists, give me cause to rejoice by being like-minded. Colossians 3.12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Christians are commanded here to develop this character trait in relation to their fellow brothers. Put on, beloved, bowels of mercies. Maybe that should have been the title of tonight's message. Philemon 7. We're back to Philemon. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Okay, Paul is writing to Philemon. One Christian's expression of deep affection for other Christians, notably Onesimus was not yet a Christian at that point, comes from love and causes great joy and consolation to other believers. When you love somebody, when you treat somebody nicely, and other Christians observe it, you actually inspire them to do the same thing. They will follow your example. Not all of them, immediately. I, I, I didn't have any intention to share this, but I often repeat this. I'm sure that my kids will talk about it after I'm dead because I've mentioned it so many times. But when I was about 14, I think 13, my dad pastored a church on an interim basis for a couple years, maybe a little more. I think there were 12 people roughly that were members of that church. And uh, it's funny because I want to say 20 years later was when I remembered the experiences I had as a kid there. And the experiences that I observed of people in that little dinky church loving have stuck with me to this day. I didn't know them. They weren't from my town. We were only there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Well, we did visit some with that and stuff, but you know, it wasn't like they were part of my life for a long time. I remember a couple that had a probably teenage daughter that was about this big. They turned two of the pews around in the back, and in every service she was back there. She had never spoken a word and was a complete invalid in diapers all of her life. And I remember how that couple loved them. I loved her. And man, I, sometime in my life later, way later, I thought, yeah, I've seen godly love. I saw it in them. I saw a mother whose Down syndrome son, probably in his late 20s or 30s, was a big burly guy and not always very courteous and often rough on her. And she had deep scars in her face, of, scars from, from lines of stress. But she had a sweet smile, and she loved that boy. And I saw Christ in her. Paul is saying the same thing to Philemon. Philemon, you've been a blessing to others, and I saw it. May we have that compassion, that care for others, 
that people can see. Go ahead and let your good deeds be seen. It's not a bad thing. Don't do it because of that. But it's okay to be seen doing good. Philemon 12. Whom I have sent again. Obviously I've sent Onesimus again. Thou therefore receive him. That is mine own bowels. Here it doesn't mean that receive my tie that binds. He's saying receive my own emotional well-being. Paul is saying that Onesimus is someone he is spiritually and emotionally attached to. How Philemon treats Onesimus is how he will be treating Paul. It's like touching a tender spot in Paul's heart to have dealings with Onesimus, as if he were as precious as the apple of his eye. And then in Philemon 20, our verse for tonight, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Paul, asking somebody to give him something. Paul pleads here. For a feeling. In 1 John 3.17, a very sad verse, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Actually, of compassion is italicized. He shuts up his tie that binds. He shuts up his emotions. Did you know emotions are useful in helping you do God's will? It's important to remember that you are not just mind and body. You are also emotional, and God can use those emotions to get you to do what God wants you to do. Now, emotions, it's only been recently that I've noticed this, as I've become more emotional with time. Um, and I've noticed that the Bible is absolutely full of emotions. I would like to just buy a new Bible sometime and start reading through it and just highlight every word I think is an emotional word or expresses something emotional. And I have a hunch there wouldn't be a page without it, but I don't know. But it's everywhere in the Bible. Once you've awakened to it, it's really hard to miss. I found this was just a quick computer search. We all know that Jesus had lots of emotion. We know that God the Father sent him because of his emotions. And I found, I just decided to look up the word compassion and see how many times it was spoken by Christ. Seven times the word compassion was on our Savior's lips. I'm not going to read them to you. The Psalms, wow. How much, can you imagine if we just decided to do a Reader's Digest version of the Psalms without emotion? <laughs> we could read that in a very short time, couldn't we? The Psalms are chock full of emotions. Psalm 73, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's not talking about the need for a podiatrist. Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. Psalm 142, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Ever been there? You get farther down in Psalm 142, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. No man looked for me. Nobody's looking out for me. The psalmist says, Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Psalm 147.3 He, that is the Lord, healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Paul was full of emotion. 
John, who wrote his gospel, and then the three uh, epistles and Revelation, full of emotion, others in the Bible. Think about it. Read it. When you see it, you'll notice things probably after this message you hadn't noticed before about emotion. And if not, some of you might remember years down the road. It may not be quite that time in your life, but sometime you'll notice. I want to say this. Even in Philemon's case, you encourage the missionary when you encourage those saints to whom he ministers. Philemon was a brother in Christ who had already shown himself to be someone who would refresh the bowels of the saints, someone who would would benefit emotionally the other Christians. But Paul had to ask him to do that in regard to Onesimus. And I would like to say that if you are concerned about the people to whom your missionaries minister, you will minister to the missionaries. It's always a blessing to get an email that says, how is so-and-so doing? You know that person actually knows them by name, mispronounced name, and cares and wants to know. And there are certain churches we go to, and we can almost guarantee that brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so will come ask about brother so-and-so or so-and-so on the field. They're the ones who refresh the bowels by actually caring about the people we care about. You don't have to care about them the same way that you do those that you're ministering to here, but it's a wonderful thing, and it goes a long way. Sometimes... You know something is true. I recently had an experience like this. I know that this person has my best interest in mind, but I don't feel it. Have you ever been in that situation where your mind tells you it's one way? This happens with children quite a lot, where they know in a way that their parents are for them, but they don't feel it at that time. That happens between Christians, too. It can happen between pastors and their members. It can happen between others where you know that actually that person does love you in the Lord and really does want, but for some reason you don't feel it. I would encourage us that it's good for us when we know that we genuinely are interested in helping someone, that we not go just on the facts, but back up a little bit and think, is there any reason why their emotions would agree with what I know to be the facts? And if there isn't, is there anything I can do to bring their emotions up to the facts? And I think that that would help a lot with some of the needs in our churches. When you're dealing with a person who is straying, when you're just dealing with a person that is struggling, or whatever it is, there is more to it than mere truth. There also are godly emotions that play a huge role in whether that person remains a member or whether they go off the deep end. And those things are real important. They're not easy. And probably of all of us here, I would be the one least likely to succeed in doing that. But I know that it's important. It says in the scriptures, in the verse that we're quoting time and time again, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. It says, in the Lord, in the Lord. And I already emphasized that. I'm, I'm going to give you the options for how that could be understood. 
through, by, or under the control of the Lord. In, through, by, under the control of. I really think the best one is under the control of. And what that's saying is that you've got to be doing what you are doing emotionally, both for missionaries, for pastors, for one another, in the Lord, under God's control. And you know what that does? That means that it can't be selfish. It can't be for what I get out of it. It's got to be for what God gets out of it. And therefore, this is another reflection of being filled with the Spirit, that we could do those things and actually refresh the emotions, the emotional well-being of someone else in our church or someone that is a missionary of your church or your pastor's which is really important. I'm going to give you some examples now, and I don't typically do a lot of this, but I'm going to give you good examples, not, not a bad example. Those I could come up with too, but I, I hope that in time I will be able to come up with fewer of them. Uh, I remember when one of our children was born, when Joanna was born, there was a, a nice couple who offered to take our kids and I think to this day, they have positive emotions about that time when Joanna was born and Elizabeth and Timothy got to stay at their house. And everything was just perfect. We felt like they were, we felt as if, and I'm sure that this was the grace of God, we felt as if they thought it was a privilege to do it. When in fact, we showed up in the middle of the night and they had to wake up. They had to take the kids. We had to bring in the blankets, you know, and the stuffed animals or whatever they had to have for their comfort, you know, and they had to go bed them down while we zip off to the hospital and that kind of thing. That was a wonderful way of, of ministering, not merely to a physical need, but to an emotional need. You want to know the kids are okay, and you want to know that they're happy to be there. They can be physically okay almost anywhere. You could put them on a cage on the Texas border, and according to some, they'd be fine. But actually, they, they need the emotional support. And, and that was a, a great blessing to us that they were willing to do that. Um, I, I remember a man who's now with the Lord who... And I have no clue. I don't know how he found out, but... He wanted to buy me a suit. Now, in, in Lithuania, I typically don't wear suits. I wear this same suit coat virtually every Sunday, and that's fine. And it's no problem. Um, if I were to wear anything too fancy, it would not be appropriate in that culture. And a suit coat is plenty enough. And so he found out when you come to America, one of the things, I'll just tell you, one of the emotional things that stresses me when I come to the States is... How do I dress with these people? Um, and it's not that our clothes are that much different, but every church is slightly different. Everybody, you know, and I'm always thinking of this stuff. Um, you know, and uh, so this one guy said he wanted to get me a suit, and so he took us all to a store. And he was a wealthy man. Not all of you are in a position to do what he did, and you don't need to think that it was his money that served our emotions. It was his love. But he took us to the store and had me pick out clothes, had all the kids pick out clothes, and just bought us stuff to wear. Um, but you know what we got out of that? I don't know where those clothes are, but I still have the memories. What I got out of that was that he cared. 
and it meant far more than a suit of clothes. And another person can actually, I'll tell you another thing. We're in this little rural church, and this lady makes trinkets. Now, living as we do in a mostly Roman Catholic country, I don't have, I, I don't like to use the symbol of the cross much. Because to them, it's like a talisman, and you know, you hang it off of your mirror, and you hope it protects you, and you don't really know what they're thinking. But the most unbelieving people in the world have this desire to have one, and so I'm not too sure that it really coalesces well with scriptural doctrine to be using it in a way that they would misinterpret. But this lady in this church made a little... You know, somehow they shellac these little plaques with little Bible verses on them or something. She did. I didn't even notice what was going on. I was talking to somebody else. And then later, they gave me a little cross that was cut out of wood. I don't remember if it said Jesus saves on it or what it said on it. And it's really not important. I, I personally am not attracted to that cross as a symbol. However, that thing is a symbol of affection and of care and of concern. It was her way of saying, I thought about you. And it can be something that costs five cents or costs nothing. It can be words, but they can have an impact that that is, well, at least last as long as you do, or mine does. I can remember a sister in Christ, and this was just on this trip when we came back. Um, I mentioned in our prayer letter, you ever want to try walking a tight line? Let's decide what to put in your prayer letter and what not to put in your prayer letter. Um, and... Uh, in particular, I have in mind about money, you know, that that topic, that topic. Well, I had mentioned that it was going to be hard for Elizabeth to teach the Lithuanians that she teaches uh, piano, if she didn't have a piano while we were on this trip, because she does it over the internet and, you know, we're floating and stuff. Well, this lady um, wrote and said she'd take care of it, and then her pastor uh, helped us with it. He was musical, and so he knew what kind to get, and all this other stuff. Man, what what an emotional tank, Phil! What what a bowel refreshment ministry. Now, obviously, that costs money. That's not something everybody could do. However, you know what's going to be left after the piano is gone is still the thought that this person cared, and not merely about us. She cared about those Lithuanian kids getting to learn to play hymns. I'm going to tell you the most recent thing. When it comes to bowel refreshment, to emotional well-being, feeling like you're on a high, I said to the kids after this, I said, you know, this guy, I don't know what he could do to make me stop liking him. And uh, we flew into Chicago, and my wife's folks live not too far from there, and we were up there until, I don't know, we were there a week or two, I don't remember, right over Christmas. And... uh, if you've if you've traveled much, you learn to really dislike luggage, and so we have developed a pure hatred for it. And uh, so we we had eleven suitcases that we came across the ocean with for the five of us, and uh, and we're going to fly on this little thing that's like an overgrown Cessna from Chicago down to Greenville, and so I'm thinking to myself, this is going to cost, you know. a piece for these bags. Furthermore, we are going to go through purgatory. Missionary purgatory is packing and weighing suitcases. 
And the problem is not packing them, but you can get to the counter. And if Madam or Sir Checker is having a bad day, you can be moving underwear from one suitcase to another to get them under 20 kilograms. And it's or 23, I don't know what it is, 23 kilograms. Anyway, it's, it's miserable. And the worst part of packing is not packing. It's getting them to within a gram because you're not going to, you're a missionary. You're certainly not going to let them be less than full. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you're going to get everything you can. So sometimes you walk through security with your pockets stuffed and so forth. Well, the big thing that was bothering us was having to go through that whole process because we left in such a hurry that we did not pack like we usually would, where you just pack what you're going to keep using in the ones you're going to open up and the other ones are going to sit there at grandma's house until the next flight and you're not going to touch them instead we had to get in all of them and uh, so i told this brother i said to him i said you know i think i'm going to call ups and see if there's some way that we can ship these by ups down there i think it shouldn't be any more expensive i mean they'll ship tires they'll ship anything and uh, he said well don't do anything yet and then later he sent me a text and got in touch with me and he said don't do a thing we're going to take care of it my wife and i are going to go down to north carolina and we're going to go visit my niece, and we're going to take your suitcases down. So you fly down, and we'll be there the next day with your suitcases. Wow. Ha! I don't have to weigh suitcases. <laughs> we don't have to spend half a day or a whole day trying to get these things into shape to take them. And for other people to whom that might not be a burden, um, if you're going on one trip you know, every six years or something, that might be fun. And so it's okay. But we were just tired of those things, and... I could not imagine a better thing that somebody could have done than to have done the, the emotional plus of that. Besides that, we got to throw in extra stuff that we normally wouldn't have taken. That you know, they our stuff collects around the world because you just stop in at this grandma's and you you get. To, I have a printer. The printer I have with me now, I had up there, but I could never take it anywhere. So that was that printer, and I don't remember if I had one at my parents. You know. And I'm thinking, well, great. Well, we can throw that in. At least I'll have one of those. You know, so he can take anything. So he ended up taking 17 different things down and arrived cheerful as could be. Did not sleep well when they slept overnight in Knoxville, but was happy as a lark. And uh, just glad. And as it turns out, he never did see his niece. He said that fell through. We just came on anyway and uh, came down to see us. And we, we thank the Lord for, for them, for all of these people that I've mentioned. There have been scores more, I think, through the years that have been a blessing. Um, I could tell of things that were less positive, and I will tell you that uh, missionaries often have emotional needs that they don't express, and uh, it's just like with MKs, they will often connect with each other because of shared experiences, but not necessarily connect real quickly with others because the experiences are so different. Um, I talked to a missionary once who said he was going through a terrible time. He said, I would have never, ever, ever asked for any help from any pastor in America. I'm just reporting, okay? And I understand you don't often have deep relationships with those people. You don't know. Uh, I, I, told, I told something to, to a, a man, a brother in Christ one time about a, a ministry decision, and he said, I'll bet everybody's got an opinion of what you should do. <laughs> and I thought, wow, <laughs> bullseye. <laughs> yeah, I need to know what God wants me to do, but I already know what brother A, B, C, D, and E wants. <laughs> you know, if only I could figure out, you know, what the Lord wants in this thing. Um, and so there are times when 
the ability to listen without giving advice is a, a godsend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you may have your impressions. You may think you know. Um, but chances are that if you're looking to help someone emotionally who is in a, a time when he's distraught, uh, when, when he's upset, when he doesn't know, probably listening is the best approach and not a whole lot of instruction as to what should be done. Emotional investment sometimes requires emotional expense. I want you to think for a moment, what did Philemon think when he got this letter from Paul? What were his responses? Okay, Philemon is a rich man. Philemon has slaves. Philemon knows the Roman system. Philemon was probably born into his wealth. We don't know that, but it wasn't exactly a free capitalistic society. What was he thinking? Was there emotional cost? There was probably financial cost. If Paul was really saying, let this guy go free, then there was that. But what does this do to Philemon? Does this lower him? He had the right to kill this guy for running off. And what are his other slaves? Is this going to destabilize the social structure in the business to do what Paul wants him to do? I don't know. All of that is speculation. But I will say this, that sometimes by being an emotional blessing to others, uh, it will cost you. And uh, sometimes, and I think this is more frequent, it actually doesn't cost, but it pays. And I'm sure that even when it costs, it pays bigger dividends in the long run. But there are amazing blessings that can come from it. Uh, I remember, I was not a missionary yet. It was the trip that led to us going to Lithuania. But in 1992, I and three other men, and I was a youngster at the time, traveled to St. Petersburg, Russia, and then from there into Lithuania. And we took cases of food to some missionaries that were there who had written and said how hard it was during the, the very hard economic times at the end of the Soviet Union to get food for foreigners because they didn't have any coupons, rationing coupons and stuff. And I remember now, I didn't get it then, but I remember now how happy they were. They were just thrilled, like exhilarated, like, like I felt when they took our suitcases down. That's what it was. It was just total Man, I can't believe you would do this. <laughs> this is this is wonderful. When we came in with with those cases, we had probably I I don't know. We had gobs of of those huge like sailors um, footlockers full of food, a frying pan because they couldn't get that there, and and literature both in Russian and in Lithuanian. Um, but I remember, and for us, it was a great joy to do it. It was it was fun. Um, there are a few things as fun as knowing that you met somebody's need. And, uh, and that, that can happen when you take it upon yourself to get into a bowel refreshment ministry, an emotional refreshment ministry, where you're concerned about the emotions of the person involved. It affects other things. It can affect their health. It can affect their money. It can affect lots of things. But when you're concerned about their emotions, they know it. And, and I don't mean concerned in the sense of, brother, what's wrong with you? But trying to be a blessing to them. Uh, it goes a long way. I, I'm going to share a few things here because I think that they would be useful for you.
in your emotional well-being refreshment ministry. I just recently was in a food lion here in North Carolina. And I walked in there and I almost, I have never in my life had a panic attack. Okay. But I got this really uneasy feeling in my, I suppose it must have started in my mind. It felt like it was in my chest or something. I was looking for bread. Okay. All I was was trying to get a lunch without spending a lot of money. And I just wanted to get some bread that actually had some substance. You know, I have to buy Pepperidge Farm or something like that. And I couldn't find the bread aisle. I mean, this, this place was how many acres big, you know? And, and of course, when was the last time an American ate any bread? <laughs> you know, because, you know, it's just not that normal. I, I don't know. That, I don't, it's not a big item. In, in Lithuania, you know, it's like a major section of the grocery store is bread. And, and it's food, and it, the grocery store is not three acres big. And so, I mean, we have huge stores there too, but I was just overwhelmed with it. It was a culture shock thing. I don't know where this is. I don't know how to find it. Okay, I do know, this is what I often say to my kids. I say, well, if you don't know where something is, you do know the language, so ask. Um, and so if you're in the right country, you can do that. And so eventually I did find the bread. I don't remember. The only bread I could find was that super expensive stuff next to the deli. And, uh, and I thought, why would they hide the bread in a grocery store? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it just seems so strange. But, but there are those things that you experience as a foreign missionary that you would never know. But when you get used to life a different way, and then you come back here and it's a different way and everybody else is normal and you're weird, then you begin to feel it. Um, often when missionaries come back from a foreign country, they're tired, usually dog tired. Um, emotional benefiting things done together that don't require anything of them are a good thing to do. Uh, inviting a missionary to a cookout where he doesn't have to speak is a great thing. You know, something that doesn't put any requirements on them and where nobody's going to judge them and where you tell them ahead of time what to wear, uh, those kinds of things are important because you don't know what's expected. You don't have a clue. You don't know how much ketchup they put on their hot dog. You don't know, you know, why they... In, in Lithuania, just so you know, they would never, ever eat peanut butter and jelly together. To them, that's gross. They cannot imagine that, you know. So you just have to realize that different people think different ways in different parts of the world, and we're so mixed up now that we don't remember which way we used to think, and our poor kids never have thought that way, you know. And so you know, there's, there's things that you can do that actually are a blessing and that can actually have some benefits for winning people to the Lord, too. I, I don't know about this, but I would dare say that the right emotional work with a returning missionary from a foreign field, uh, especially when it's you know a very different culture, and virtually everyone is, I think you could you could rescue, so to speak. You could help a guy, a lady, a family not make some bad decisions if they felt like somebody actually was interested in them as a person, but not as a missionary. Does that make any sense? Um, as a brother in Christ, that you're just as important to us whether you're a missionary or whether you're just a brother in Christ. Actually, I tell Lithuanian believers who aren't members of our church 
not to call me pastor, but to call me brother, because I'm not their pastor. And I and I, I feel as if the brother relationship will exist eternally. The pastor relationship is important, and you should call your pastor something respectful, like Bishop Byler. Uh, that's fitting. Okay? <laughs> Elder Byler, Pastor Byler. That, those all work. Okay? But... But there are relationships that don't change, just like in the family. And a brother and a sister in a family are always going to be brother and sister. And sometimes you would like to be evaluated not on your performance, but on your existence. (laughs) That might be all you have at the moment, um, (laughs) is the fact that you're still existing. Um, And so so that's a, a good thing. When we go into a church often... I don't know. We don't talk about this often. I'm, I'm saying we, I mean me and my worms. Um, so we think, how will this church respond to us? Um, you know, what to expect? Uh, what's going to be here? Are we going to say something stupid? Who will be the one who says the stupid thing? Um, and how stupid will it be? And how long will we remember? And how long will they remember? Um, and then Think about this. How do I minister to these people? I don't even know them. You use the word, and I know all the theological answers to that question. I'm talking about it from an emotional perspective. That when you know people, it's easier to to deal with them. Last night, I felt that way at the beginning. And that's why I said what I did at the beginning, that I'm trying to warm up to you and figure out where we are, because I don't really know you. And that that's important. You, nothing can be changed about that not knowing yet, except for that when you feel accepted, you feel in there, you adapt quickly, and you get there. Now, you guys did a great job with with the uh, the basket that you gave us. And I'm pleased to tell you that although there are traces of cashews left, um, that I haven't opened anything else in that box. So it should safely make it back to our squatting place, um, and the others can have the things that you actually designed for them. And that's good. They know if you've designed it for them. When you know a missionary's coming, go ahead. Find somebody in your church that, that has that gift and have them find out what do those people like. And you don't always have to ask them, but it's okay if you do. But if you can find out from a previous church what they liked, that's even sneakier. And it has a whole lot more emotional impact when Paul gets there and finds out there's root beer there, you know, and nobody in that church knew I liked root beer, you know, or when Pastor Byler goes to preach somewhere and somebody's got chocolate-covered almonds there, and who told them, you know? Those kinds of things go a long way um, to making the missionaries relax and feel as if you care about them as a person. And it probably will make their ministry to you more useful as well. Um, I'm going to quote one of our children. She said, I didn't like that pastor. He laughed at me when I hid under the table. Six years old, scared, didn't know what to do. And I'm not faulting the pastor. I don't know what I would have done in that situation either, but it made a permanent impact on a kid. Man, if we could have done that right, she could have said later, that was one of the neatest churches we've ever been in. And the fact is, she said to me, she said, I remember that church where one of the girls came up and just said, let's go. And we went and walked all around the building. They had a Christian school in that building. 
and she showed me around. Well, it's not like our daughter needed to know where everything was in that building. But that was a way of including her. So you don't feel like the whole place is a maze and you don't know where anything is. And besides that, none of that really matters. What matters is that somebody is with you that knows what's going on. And so those kinds of things mean a lot to the kids um, when they're little. I, I, I would be happy, and I, I could get a lot of things wrong. I would be happy to consult you when your own dear Francis is, is it, come back. Um, I think that if you were to ask some other missionaries what you could do, um, we could give you some ideas that might just floor them, and in a good way, <laughs> make them really pleased um, about how to adapt back. Um, I realize that his wife is Taiwanese, right? And so she's in her own culture, and he's not. Um, and so it's probably a little different, and I wouldn't know all the ramifications of that. But I can assure you that he will have culture shock when he comes back. And uh, it will probably be, it's actually, strangely enough, sometimes it's harder coming this way than going that way. Especially when you're a young missionary going that way, the first time you are, you're excited, you want to adapt, and all that other stuff. When you're coming this way, you're less excited and you want sleep. And that makes a huge difference in your perspective about things. Um, it's always a blessing. I said that. When certain people try to find out what certain kids like. Okay. Let's, let's repeat our verse again in Philemon 20. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Now, I realize this is a very unusual missions conference message. And I'm sorry I've taken so long um, with it. I hope that it can have an impact eternally. By the way, I have no gripe with you guys. I'm not criticizing you at all. Um, I just, you should be honored that I felt the liberty to say this because I have never ever in my life said any of this before publicly. So um, that's, that's a good thing. Um, so I'm not, I'm not down on you and I'm not criticizing you at all. But I will say this, your pastors, you, each other, and your missionaries have emotional states that can be refreshed, that should be refreshed, that need refreshment. And if you will do it in the Lord, under the control of the Lord, you will do an amazing work for missions. You may help a missionary not leave the field prematurely. You may help him know how to help his people back there to do similar things. You, you may save an MK from disaster. I mean, the implications of what I'm telling you are amazing. Do you know how many MKs crash and burn? Neither do I. But it's not a small percentage. And there are, there are special needs that often people don't get, even the parents don't get, because we're not MKs. We, have, we actually think we belong here. Our kids have never had that illusion. They know they don't belong anywhere. That that's not really home. I mean, that's home, but that's not, you know, I'm still a transplant there, but I sure don't fit here, you know. And so there's, there's things there that are, that are important. Now, have you ever gone to a church for the first time and you didn't know if you'd be welcomed or not? We walked up to that church in Indiana after we parked the Suburban that we had borrowed and we were pulling a borrowed trailer. 
It wasn't a fancy building. I recall looking at it from the outside when we were walking up and thinking that that building could use some work. But the folks inside were in far better spiritual shape than their building. The first words I remember hearing after we introduced ourselves is, are these. We love missionaries. Do you remember hearing that? I remember them saying that. I don't remember if it was a lady or a man. There was Everybody had gray hair that was talking to us when we walked in at that time. So there's, you know, 50 or above. And I think there was a man and a woman there. I don't even think it was the pastor at the beginning. But after we introduced ourselves, it was like the best welcome we have ever had in any church. And it was spontaneous. And they didn't know us from Adam's house cat. We walk in and we love missionaries. Can you imagine how that felt? I mean, we were already scared to go to a church. We didn't have a church we had to be in that Sunday. And we don't have any supporting churches near there. And so we just picked it out from back, guys, in the old days, there were yellow pages. There were phone books. And you looked up, you know, you looked up in there where things were. That was the pre-internet days. And so um, you, you can't imagine what that did for our emotional well-being. It wasn't a big church, maybe 20 or 30 people. They made us comfortable. They helped us with the kids in Sunday school and just made every, with that kind of start, it would have been hard to do anything wrong because we were already, that just disarmed us. We were relaxed and and it was okay. I think somebody invited us to lunch before Sunday school even started. Out of 30 people, somebody comes up and says, hey, if you're willing, we want you for lunch. That's amazing. When we walked out the door, a guy slipped a $100 bill in my hand. You know, how this church still ranks as the number one emotionally positive experience I've ever had in a church I knew nothing about. And I've never heard from them since, and they have never heard from me since. And it might as well be that way, because I don't want to mess up those memories. Uh, they were they were really, really good. <laughs> Our emotions were so refreshed. That church and their ministry remains in my heart until now. They got it right. And it would have been just as right without the hundred bucks. It, it wasn't the money, I assure you. Um, I, I have sometimes said, you've got to have money to live. And, and you have to pay the bills with money. You can't do that with emotions and stuff. But there have been more, there's been more than one time in my life when more than I wanted any money to pay the bills, I wanted some emotional boost. <laughs> I wanted some encouragement. And, and that would have meant a whole lot. So emotions are important, even for you men. Emotions need refreshing to be eased of the weights. Real men need emotional refreshment. God wants us to find ways to refresh one another's emotional well-being. We can only do this in the Lord, under His control. And refreshing other emotions is a wonderful way to serve the Lord and His people. And with that, I say good night and may the Lord bless you.